Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King, and this is the podcast for the Established Church by the Established Church. You heard the bumper coming in, and we're so glad that you're listening. Before we get started on this episode, I do want to mention that we are, as you know, members of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You can find out more information about that at leadership.lifeway.com slash podcasts. There's an S at the end of that. We are excited that here recently, Rainer on Leadership, which is a podcast uh, done by the father of one of our co-hosts, and uh, the Jonathan Howe, which is sometimes called The Voice, is now a member of Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You can check them out, and you can check out all of our other co-podcast folks at Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network website. I am joined by the son of Rainer on Leadership. That is Sam Rainer, who's not feeling <laughs> incredibly well, are you? Oh, man, another Rainer. Another Rainer. Too many uh, Rainers. <laughs> no, I've got a I've got a head cold, which this time of year, you know, it's January. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are 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 right there with me. Um got to got to just plug through it. I you know, I preached yesterday with this thing and now I'm trying to manage my Monday. We're recording on a Monday. Yeah. Uh, so, um yeah, I'm not I'm, feel, I'm not feeling all that great. So, if I say something that is completely out of line, heretical or um asinine, we're going to post it anyways. Well. It's going live. <laughs> I'll just blame it on some cough medicine. Medicine. Are, are you on medicine right now? Do you have Do you have some narcotics in you? Actually, no. Uh, no. So I can't blame it on that. <laughs> well, there's the end of that. I haven't had a head cold yet, but, you know, I just kind of. Hey, come ironic. on over. I'll give you one. <laughs> Ironically, this morning I was thinking, you know, it's about to come. I need to go get some vitamin Cs. Uh, those do help me. To some regard, um, I think it's stave it off a little bit, but not too bad. Well, we so, have season down here. So mm-hmm. Florida's fine. Mm-hmm. Everyone's well until the snowbirds come down in mm. December, January, February, March, and they bring all of their, their their bugs with them. That's right. People outside of Florida bring physical illness. People in Florida have mental illness. That's a... <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> hey. Yeah, we're, we're bizarre. There is no doubt That's about that. That's an accurate description. Uh, I love, so, by the way, I love sending you those news clippings of everything. He does. For those, our listeners, um, Sam will regularly send Micah and I these news clippings of the very strange happenings that, that go on in Florida that make everybody, every other state seem, you know, normal. Even Louisiana, they seem normal. Um, because of what Florida does. And by news clippings, we mean links via text. We kind of dated ourselves there by saying news clippings. Yeah, he literally clips things out of the paper. <laughs> can, can you imagine me sitting there just in my office doing that? Laminates it and then mails them to us. <laughs> Very funny. So Where's I, Micah? Where's Micah? Micah's in Micah. a PhD seminar at um, the wonderful Southeastern Seminary. My wife is at Southeastern. I think it's one of the greatest seminaries. It's my brother works fantastic. there. It's a great seminary. I'm at Southern. I think Southern's a little better, but that's just... I graduated from Southern. I teach at Southern. Amen. Amen. 
So anyhow, uh, so you had Is a that preach. your Danny Aiken impersonation? No, no, I don't have a Danny Aiken impersonation. <laughs> Should I get one? <laughs> well, he has, he has a. But for those of our listeners who don't know who Danny Aiken is, he's the president of Southeastern Seminary. He's a very and a, distinctive and a Criswell grad. Yeah, which yeah, happens and to be uh, the best Bible college in the nation. He has a distinctive voice. I grew up with him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his sons, me, all my brothers, we were like buds throughout mm-hmm. high school. They lived with us for like a month. The, the the sons did cool when they were moving to Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. You got to say it right for those for those like I went to high school in Louisville. So for those who are from there, they'll appreciate me saying it appropriately. Louisville. Yeah, you, yeah, I, I wouldn't. If you're ever in Louisville, I would not say that. You might get shot. Well, you know me, I'll go to Louisville and say that just for the fun of it. <laughs> you probably Man, would. Louisville, such a nice town. I like it. <laughs> Y'all have baseball bats and horses. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, this head cold. I'm not in the mood. I know. <laughs> I'll just admit it. I know. We're just having a conversation here. So you preached sick yesterday. Yes, I did. I did. I probably should not have, but I did. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to the recording yet? Did you did you say will, everything you intended to say and nothing that you not did not? I will not listen to the recording because I've already had two people tell me, so that was really good today. <laughs> I'm like, that. I don't, I know, I know that's not true. <laughs> you lying. You lying. So, no, I am. Um, no, I'm, I, I, I will not listen to myself on that one. It, I, it's torture enough, much less when you're sick. I listened to, or I was working with a pastor one time, lead pastor who preached sick. He preached the sermon, and there was not one thing that he did not seem off. He wasn't sweating or anything like this, but he said he was violently ill. And so he preached the sermon, walked off the stage, out the back door, and vomited. And then went and preached another one. And he said, uh, he told us the next day that that's what happened. The custodian was like, that's what that was? <laughs> <laughs> See, I've I've puked while preaching. I've no, tried to... No. During the sermon? Yes. On stage? No. So what happened was... What had happened was... <laughs> what, what happened was, um, it was, it was my first full-time gig. Uh, you know, I had the stomach flu. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 80 people, 100 people in this church. We, we grew from there. I don't know why after after this episode, but... Um, and, I, you know, I didn't have a fill-in. So I, I, I was one of those where I woke up Sunday morning about 4 or 5 in the morning. I was sick. I knew I was sick. I, I preached anyway. Um, I think it was just one service. And, uh, yeah, I, apparently the second half of my sermon was completely incoherent. And I I ended my sermon just by saying, and that concludes my sermon. Like, I just ended it. And I just literally, I don't even remember any of this. And, and I, that's I just the said, end of the matter. And that concludes my sermon. I walked off the stage. The sound guy would sleep during my sermon because he had a hearing problem, mm-hmm. and which I know, sound guy with hearing problem. It, it's kind of an ironic joke, but it, except to this church, it wasn't. And usually the piano would wake him up so that he knew to like do the mics at the end of the service. Mm-hmm. But there was no piano, piano because I just said, and that, that concludes, concludes my sermon. sermon. And I walked off the stage, passed out backstage with my mic on, mm-hmm. uh, violently vomiting all over the place. Mm. Uh, I woke and all of this I learned from other people because I don't remember any of it. Mm. I woke up, I remember waking up with the chairman of the deacons and the chairman of the personnel committee scrubbing the carpet around me um, and me going, what are you doing? Where am I? What is going mm. on? Uh, mm. And then realizing what, what had just happened. So that was, that was not, I, they called me the puking preacher well, for the longest time after, after that. Well, that's better than making other people puke at your sermons. That's true. Yes. Micah's going to listen back to this recording and fire us. 
Can he? Can he do that? No. He is the older brother. He is the older. He might get on to it. Give us a noogie. <laughs> the two younger brothers are. Give us a noogie. <laughs> We've got the mics. Watch out, people. So um, what, what I was thinking we could talk about when we were talking about you getting sick was developing younger preachers, like on-staff preachers or people in your congregation, because I find that this is really tough to do. Great to talk about, really hard to do. Because, yeah, I think you, know, you have to be developing other preachers. Yeah, everybody says that. Like, you have to be making disciples, and you have to be doing this. But I think that this one in particular is really hard, because you're turning over. In order to fully develop them, do you have to turn over the pulpit? Yes. Yes, you do. Or you have to find creative ways to allow them to preach. So let's walk through the process of finding, uh, you know, letting them, and then... I would imagine you have to have some sort of critiquing at first. So, oh yeah, how do you find these people? Do you just stand up and say, "Who wants to preach?" The way I've, the way I've done this is they literally come to me. Now, maybe that's um, a blessing that God has given me in my churches, but regardless of size of church, I've pastored a church of eighty that had two people that were called to mm-hmm. preach. Uh, now, it may not be full time vocational ministry, so to speak. It may not be. I'm going to be a lead pastor of a large church. They just felt the calling to preach. Yeah. Um, and I've always had them come to me. Um, so I think one of the things that we need to do is encourage those who have some sort of fire within them to do something, to, to speak up. Um, you don't want to squelch that. So, yeah, I've, I've been blessed with having people that just came to me and said, I think I'm called to preach. And then I, I have the wonderful opportunity to develop them. Um, but I've also created a group called Project Shepherd. I've done that at every one of my churches. And it's just a, an avenue to develop future pastors, leaders, preachers. Um, so I've also gotten the word out that, hey, if you do have some sort of thing in your head or your heart right now that you might be called to do something in ministry, um, come talk to me. And I've hmm. always just put the word out as well. Um, and I'll do that on a Sunday morning from the pulpit, just to let people know, um, you know, hey, we're, we're developing, equipping church. Um, so I've never never had a formal way of getting the word out. I've never had like this campaign or this, you know, a big, you know, method. It just always seems to happen more organically and naturally, at least for me. I think at least finding them. You're asking about finding them. Now, yeah, I, when we start developing them, that's a whole different thing. Right, but the finding for me has everybody. I I find that every church I've been at, and I assume that everybody, if you're relational at some level, if you spend time with people, and uh, you allow people to spend time with you, there will be this uh, uh, one or two, on occasion, more young people who sort of have this affinity towards ministry. They have like a heart towards uh, more of a leadership style of ministry. They they're they're really active in volunteering and those sort of things. You can just I don't know what I'm saying, but I think that people understand what I'm trying to say. It's just they they seem to have this call towards ministry on their heart, even if they don't know that that's what's going on. And I'm not specifically talking about vocational ministry. I'm just saying uh, leadership in the church or um, you know uh, a stronger discipline of helping with the church. And I love how you said earlier that. They don't necessarily have a call to be the pastor of a, a large church because it's funny how often people have that specific calling that they're going to be the pastor of a large <laughs> yeah. church. You know, I didn't. I've never had that calling. I've, I've to, had to the, be the pastor of a large church. Yeah, you know, I guess West Bradenton would be considered a larger 
church. I mean, we mm-hmm. average about six, seven hundred. Mm-hmm. But I've passed. I pastored one church that grew to fourteen hundred. Um, so I, I've been there, but I've never. I personally, I've never had that calling where it's like you have to be in a large church. In fact, I would almost question somebody who has that specific calling. And particularly degrees from, the, from mega church pastors. I've yeah, particularly it. from the get go. I mean, if you're like, no, I, I have to pastor a large church. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, you know, I, I, it's, that's between you and God. But I would have a. Let's just say if that person was in my Project Shepherd group, I would they would need a lot of work and a lot of development. Because I'd be real you, sarcastic if somebody came up and told me that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, mean like, if you have that calling, no. it's probably best not to just vocalize that to everybody. But um, if if you have that calling, I bet you vocalize a lot of things like that. You probably do. Yes. This this uh, ser- this episode is so off the rails. Um, those people though that kind of come and say things like, uh, you know, are are you can tell those are the people that I would put up. And so let's talk a little bit about developing. So you find them either through some sort of formal, even if it's not particularly. Well, uh, let me tell you how the conversation typically typically goes. It's usually somebody just coming to me and saying something like, I think I should be doing something more hmm. in church. You know, this is usually somebody who's volunteering a lot, faithful. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think there's, I think God wants me to do something more. And, and then, you know, and, and the conversation progresses into, well, you might be called to ministry. A lot of times, not always. Um, but well, that's how the conversations have begun with me. It's not like somebody says... I am called to preach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it usually begins the inception of it's just usually. I, you know, I, for I think me, I'm I think it's just a, like, more. like a discernment or a Holy Spirit thing, and the conversations usually start with me. And so I'll just, you know, those people that are hanging around, they're volunteering all the time. They're they're serving. They've got this this attitude of unity and this spirit of service. That's the people that we can be as ministers just tempted to be friends with, which is good. And you want to kind of hang out with them and things like that. And if you're a student pastor listening or student minister, uh, you know, those are the ones that you tend to be like, they're your favorites, and that's cool, and uh, yeah, I'm all for that. But at some point, what I found was I needed to go ahead and say something like, um, and and it's not like, hey, I think you should be a pastor one day. What I'll do is say, would you mind, you know, uh, giving the devotional at the next retreat? Would you mind, um, or something like that? I think you could lead the small group on our camp trip or, you know, those sort of things. I say, I'll do that, pull them up. They're usually shy away from it. I don't know. I can't do it. I'm more of a, I set up chairs, those sort of personalities. No, 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 no. I think you can do it and I'll help you. So um, either way, if there's somebody coming up to you saying it, or if you just have that discernment on your heart that says, I think you could do more. And we want to be very careful here. Preaching is a role in the church. And um, so there are people that you want to develop that'll just be accountants for the church or whatever. But how do we develop specifically the preachers? Once we've got them, what do you do with them, Sam? Well, preaching is like this. It's like riding a bicycle. Um, You can study the history of bicycle making. You can study engineering of how bicycles are designed. You can study the manufacturing process of how bicycles are made. Um, you can look at star athletes, by uh, those who cycle, um, and understand what they're doing in order to ride that bicycle. You can, you can do all of that, but you don't know how to ride a bicycle until you get up on that thing, mm-hmm. and you you know you bust your head a few times trying to figure it out. So preaching is like that. You know, um, you have to practice preaching. 
Um, you, you, you have to do it in order to understand what's going on. Now, I'm not knocking the study of the history of preaching and, you know, how sermons are made and looking at some of the best preachers and learning from them and, you know, being an academic when it comes to preaching. I think there's some valid exercises there. But you ain't a preacher until you start preaching. And so oh. the only way in the church mm-hmm. to develop someone best with preaching is to give them preaching opportunities. But like Sunday morning? I mean, that's a big deal. No. That's an earned No, you don't place. start somebody out on a Sunday morning. So where, this, where, what are some creative ways? Because we're, we're talking about people here that are like, man, this is hard for me to give up this pulpit. Where, uh-huh. What are some creative and, ways? And this is where speak? established churches, so this EST podcast, this is where mm-hmm. established churches actually have an advantage over other kinds of churches. Because typically with an established church, a lot of them still have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I have, uh, we don't have Sunday night, but I have Wednesday night. So we have a Sunday, Sunday morning, Wednesday night rhythm at our church. I still lead a Bible study of, you know, between 40 and 80 people on a Wednesday night. And that is a perfect opportunity to allow somebody to quote unquote preach because likely their first congregation, if they go and pastor somewhere, is going to be between 20 and 50 people, 50 Mm -hmm. if you're lucky, more like 20. Um, And, you know, maybe a struggling, hurting church. That's right. your first church, because who hires the person with no experience, the struggling, mm-hmm. hurting church? Um, and, and so allowing them those venues. And then I just tell the prayer meeting people, and most of them are older, um, and, you know, they get it. They, they, they grew up in churches where that happened. And so, you, you know, you have to—if you have those opportunities structurally, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night— introducing somebody to preaching on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night is a good idea. That's how I got my start. Mm-hmm. Um, my my pastor had three lessons to write, so to speak, you know, um, three a week. So when I felt called to preach, there was actually three or four of us in the church. He just put us on a rotation on Sunday night. And then, you know, and, and granted, he developed us, he equipped us, he critiqued us, mm-hmm. all of that. But it released the burden from him. And the people that were coming to this service, they they didn't really care who was preaching, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was just a time for them to gather and just enjoy being the church. Um, and and it was it was it was how I learned. So if you're an established church and you have those time slots, that's where you can use them. Yeah. I think that when we're talking about the development side of things, some things that I like to do is assign the text. I know that, you know, that seems like a silly thing to do, but I like that. Because you get the most random things if you just let people, you know, go off and figure it out themselves. Assign the text, and it helps me because if I'm actually going to critique, one of the the main thing that you want to do, there's the communication, but then there's just the exegesis. You want to make sure that they're preaching the text correctly. Well, you're a busy pastor. It might be better for you to assign one that that you you know, you you're familiar with, so you don't have to prepare, you know, your sermon and their sermon. I like to have a couple of different meetings with them before where they will essentially sit in my office and preach the sermon to me. Tell me what you're thinking. It doesn't have to be so preachy. You know, they don't stand up and preach it, but talk through each point with me. Where, where's You can begin to feel some sort of tensions and some struggles. What I'll do in those is also show them not only my listening for content and flow and all that, but I'm also teaching them that, when you are preaching regularly, if you get to to do that, then, uh, you know, speaking it out loud helps, and this is why it helps. Speaking it out loud helps you with your transitions. It also helps with your flow of your, your, your brain, like you can see it kind of developing and things like that. Then I'll critique it, send them away, 
and have them come back in a couple days, weeks, or something like that before they get, you know, ready to preach. So there's not a time where somebody's guest preaching unless there was an event I did. We can talk about that in a minute, but where I don't know where they're going, the application of where they're going, the points that they're making, all those sorts of their illustrations. I really like them to share illustrations because you and I both know some of the earlier times of our preaching where we got in trouble was less the exegesis and more of our illustrations. Oh, definitely on the illustrations. Yeah. I, I look back at some of my old notes from, gosh, now about 15 years ago, and I'm, I, I cringe. I absolutely <laughs> cringe at some of the things that I said, some right. of the awful jokes that I told. Uh, and some, some of them were inappropriate. You just shouldn't have done it. Yeah, Man. the the poor hermeneutics. The, you know, I, I was usually mm-hmm. okay on exegesis because I went to a seminary and that uh, it was a good seminary that taught me how to do that well. But man, applying the sermon to the lives of the people and um, just some of the stupid stuff I said. Yeah, um, you, and when, that's that's just it. When you first starting to ride a bicycle, you wobble all over the place. When right, you're preaching, you kind of wobble. You got to You got to practice it. I think the problem at this point, though, for our conversation is just if you're a busy pastor, sometimes the temptation is going to be if you have this person who can preach, your temptation is going to be, just, well, let's, let them do it. Uh, they could take Wednesday nights or you know something like that. You're really looking at it more like to let yourself off the hook a little bit there, which that's a valid uh, point of tension. It's a valid uh, point of you know friction in your life. You need to lessen that. But you can't lessen that at the expense of the preaching and the expense of the person. If you're not giving them the training wheels, like you're talking about here at riding a bike, if you're not developing them, helping them develop those sermons, they're going to flop. It, they're going to crash too hard too fast. And if we're going to equate preaching to riding a bike, that's fine. But you don't throw somebody on a bike without training wheels for the very first time, um, usually. So because the, they're much more likely to get hurt. You know, so you want some different sort of um, techniques to beginning with. And I see too many pastors that are just like, hey, Wednesday's yours, go. And it's it's a train wreck. Yeah, that's not wise. It's a train wreck. That's and not wise. And you're being a bad steward of your pulpit. Well, and for those who have, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sunday school lessons to prepare, mm-hmm. I've been there. You know, I've, I've and then, you know, guest speaking every now and then, you know, like five, six different lessons to prepare in a week. I've, I've been there. But it is certainly not wise just to throw somebody into a time slot without, you know, proper sort of foresight and what they're going to say, just the whole process you went through. The other thing that I would say is all of our preachers are also teachers because a key element of preaching is teaching. And in order to preach well, you have to be a good teacher. So let me, in order to preach properly, you have to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. So all of our guys that are in queue are also life group leaders and teachers at our church. And so that's one of the filters that we use. If you're not willing to be a teacher, then you, you know, in a, of a group, you probably shouldn't be a preacher. Right. Because it's just, the group's just bigger. And I understand there's a complete difference between teaching and preaching, and they're not exactly the same thing, but there's a lot of overlap. There is. Um, and and so we, we ask, actually, our guys that are called to preach to, to teach regularly. And that is a good exercise for them. So the teaching becomes the exercise for the preaching. Mm-hmm. And then they help each other. The preaching helps the teaching. The teaching helps the preaching. Yeah, and, you know, you don't want to go all karate kid here, but if they're not willing to do the small things then the pulpit is not something that I'm willing to give up. There have been occasions where um, some young man comes up and he's like, I I feel called to preach. And I'm like, great. Well, 
uh, could you help set up these chairs? And they just, they don't, you know, and could you help with this? Could you do this? And they're like, no, 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 I'm called to preach. I'm called to stand up there. I just don't usually give over the microphone to somebody who's not willing to uh, do the other things, to help out with these things. And so I would agree with you on the teaching thing if you have those avenues. And if somebody, if you have like a small group that they could lead or co-lead and occasionally lead, you kind of, it's not working your way up. I don't want to say that. It's just, it's stewarding um, in, in greater increments as you go. And to be able to grab the pulpit is a big deal. And the larger the church, the more that that's a, um, that's going to be uh, less likely for you to, um, to acquire. So what about post preaching? What do you do with those people? Yeah, I've always debrief. Um, always. Um, you know, we sit down, we talk about it. What went well, what didn't go well? Uh, what kind of feedback did you get? Uh, you know, you know, you're opening, uh, to the sermon, you're closing to the sermon. Um, you know, most of the time, I don't have to correct, you know, doctrine because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have a very high view of doctrine in our church, and you're just not going to be teaching or preaching it unless your doctrine's good. But if there was some sort of unintentional doctrinal error, let's go, let's walk through that. Um, you know, did you did you connect with people? Did you engage them? Did you lead out with energy? Did you show passion? Um, all of those things, you know, that's that. These are things that you're going to debrief with the person mm-hmm. after after the fact. I have an idea. I haven't done this yet, but I'm thinking about dropping this on uh, a guy who just preached for us. He's on staff, and we're developing him, and uh, he's fantastic. Anyways, love the guy, personality, theologically, missionally. Um, but for his debriefing, I'm literally thinking about bringing in the other preachers that are on staff, myself bringing him in, and we're going to watch the video together. And uh, we're all going to watch it together and just kind of give some feedback and mainly let him lead the critique. What did you notice? What What are some parts? Because I'm big on the whole thing. I, I do think that we need to develop not only just uh, the theology and the and the, you know, the steps of a sermon, but also like a lot of times preachers will mess up a sermon because they do weird things with their hands or they walk too much or they, you know, there's distracting things that they don't realize they're doing. Or, you know, I saw a B article uh, this morning about Matt Chandler asking 40 something times the drive through person if they're tracking with her. Would track <laughs> I with saw her. that. Babylon um, B for our listeners. The Babylon, Babylon B. B. Yeah. Uh, satire. It's satire. It's satire. Quit getting upset, people. Um, so that's, you know, that's a true thing. Now, Matt's rolling with it. I don't think he should change that. But, you know, on the earlier stages of development, there may be something that you're doing that needs to be corrected or altered or changed. And that's just developing as a speaker, as a communicator. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, really. I don't. Oh, not at all. See, my, my first sermon that was to a larger audience, not just a real small group, but we're talking a Wednesday night at a, one, of, one of the churches where I was developed, um, probably a hundred people there. And, uh, and it was my first like full, like 30, 40 minute sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently I, I don't know how I did this, but uh, cause it, well, it wasn't, there wasn't a video recording of it. Um, but I, I had my, I pointed the entire time, like my hands were guns <laughs> and, and I, I just kept shooting people. Um, <laughs> The, the, the whole time I'd make a point, anytime I make a point, I would point at somebody and I would, you know, and I would, un, this is unintentional, unintentional, right. like shoot them. Um, and so afterwards I asked, it was 
my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I said, okay, how'd, how'd it go, how'd it go? She goes, actually, your content was really good, but you pointed your fingers like guns at people the entire <laughs> time. And I'm like, I did? That's I never funny. did it again. You That's know, it was one of those so things where it was just like, it was an immediate sort of correction. It's just a nervous, uh -huh. I just got nervous. And yeah, I started pointing my hands at people. Like my mom one time them. said that when I was, when I was first starting preaching, I would lick my lips just because my mouth was dry. You know, I assume that's what was going on. My mouth was dry and I would just lick them all <laughs> my whole top and bottom lips. She says, you look like a cow. You look like, um, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> Don't do that. And so I was like, all right. So that was my problem. Um, speaking of this, so this is my strange advice that I give to um, starting off preachers, assuming, and I know, don't tweet me. We don't respond to negative tweets. Um, but well, I do. I do sometimes because I, I don't. I, don't I, I enjoy the banter. Don't tweet me. Don't. I know, don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the. I get it. But every yeah. now and then, you I gotta feed, the feed one. You feed the just trolls. to see what happens. But what I'm saying is, I assume you're going to get training on uh, exegesis. I assume you're going to get training on hermeneutics. I assume you're going to get training on sermon prep. All of that stuff is great valuable, needed, essential. So one of the things I say on top of that is for uh, beginning preachers to watch comedians. Good, clean comedians. I know there's a bunch of trash out there, but good, clean comedians. Because comedians are better, good ones, are best at some of the things that we just don't learn in seminary. They use pauses amazingly. They use pause, And I'm not talking about being funny. I'm, don't watch comedians to try to be funny in your sermons. But Comedians will use pauses effectively. They use their hands effectively. They also typically will use a handheld mic, which it's so crazy to me how if you change the mic on a preacher, if they're used to a lapel, if you put them in an ear, in ear or if you put them on a, here's a handheld, it just throws off their whole sermon. Like all of a sudden they can't preach. And so watching comedians, their body posture, their pauses, the way they, um, you know, back end stories, load stories on the back end to to build um, interest in what you're saying, those sort of things, I think they're phenomenal at it. And if you find good, clean ones and you watch that, you'll start to pick up some of those communication styles. I know I know that's sacrilegious, but uh, I just think that they're good at that, which I guess, you know, other people would say watch good preaching, which is good too. I mean, you can do that. But I think comedians really hone in on the communicating style that I think is effective. We got like three seconds. You got anything else to add to the end of this? No. If you want to learn how to preach, uh, watch the comedians. That's the that's what I just learned. Pretty much. Comedians are fantastic <laughs> at that. Um, so thanks again for listening to EST. We hope you're having a great new year and you'll check out um, us on iTunes. Rate and review us. That always is super helpful. Thanks again. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.